Well, let's take our Bibles this morning, turn to Luke chapter 10, and I'll be looking at those verses in just a moment, beginning in verse 38. And um, I haven't had a great time of worship this morning, and man, it was just so thrill- thrilling about those Awana kids, one of the great programs we have in our church, and also about um, the anniversary of Kevin and Trish. Uh, great time of worship this morning, some of my favorite songs. But I want to ask you a question. This is what the question of the day. Question of the day, how's your prayer life? And the second question I would say to that is, how do you measure that? Most of the people I know would say, well, I wish it were better. Most of the pastors surveyed said they wish their prayer life was better than it is right now. How do we really measure that? Maybe you feel like Job sometimes where he said, for I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. Maybe you're discouraged. And one of the reasons why maybe you don't pray enough is that you don't get enough answers. You pray and you pray and you pray, and you're like Job or like the lady that I knew uh, way back, true story. She was a second grade teacher back before they really outlawed the Bible, or whatever you want to call it, outlawed the Bible and prayer in the public schools. So she was a teacher in the second grade. She was also a teacher in her local church, taught the second graders. And she would pray for all of her kids. In those classes, she would teach to memorize scripture and also to let every class every day in prayer before the time began. And so she would pray and pray, and she saw particularly those in the church, as she would pray for them, they would get saved one by one. But there was one that just never seemed to have a spiritual thought in his life. And she prayed and prayed for him, and it would be easy at that point after years and years of getting discouraged. Maybe you feel that same way. You have someone in your life that you have really been praying for, and you don't see the results happening, and it's discouraging in your prayer life. So how's your prayer life, and how do you really measure that in life? Because, I mean, after all, the Bible says, Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me and I will answer you and tell you great and hidden things which you don't even know about. Mark eleven twenty four, 24, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, therefore I, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received them already, and it will be yours. Wow, pr- promises in the Bible like that and you still don't get the answers that you want. I read a book years ago, and it was called Asking and Receiving. And it was a fellow by the name of John R. Rice that wrote it. And I read the book, and I thought, man, what a great book. How simple prayer really is. Asking and receiving. But is that all there is to it? And is that really the main point to it? What amazes me about the Bible is the questions that the disciples would ask. Jesus would give an example to them in some way, and they would come back and ask about that because they were intrigued about it. Now, we were, ta- we're talking here about being a Christ follower and what that means. We talked about service last week. We've talked about witnessing. We've talked about uh, the Word of God. We talked about the Spirit of God in our life, guiding our life. But nothing is more basic to our following of Jesus Christ than our prayer life. And Jesus even said, or the Bible says about Jesus in Mark 1.35, And rising up early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a de- desolate place, and there he prayed. The disciples 
were amazed and impressed with Jesus' prayer life. How do I know that? Well, it says here in Luke 11, 1, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. We're intrigued. Now, keep in mind that these men were from a Jewish sometimes, but it wasn't something that you enjoyed. It was something that you did as a, a duty to God, somewhat like what we do sometimes. Maybe that's what your prayer life is. You know, I just, I have to get up in the morning and I really have to pray. I, I know it's something I need to do. I really don't want to do it. I don't have the patience to do it, but I do it. Other people say, well, I pray and pray and pray for these people and I ask and I ask and I don't receive enough. At least, okay, I receive in the small things, okay? I do that, but not in the big things. And so what is this all about? Here's the thing. As they, he, they were asking him, here's what they were asking. Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray because you enjoy it. You enjoy it. Now, you think for a minute if prayer is just the basics to prayer or asking and receiving, why did Jesus ever pray at all? I mean, he could answer every one of his own prayers. Think about it. Why did he fellowship and have a relationship like, like that with the Father in heaven? Well, as we look at this, I'm going to read the text, and I want us to look at a couple of things this morning. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, this is the Lord's Prayer out of the Gospel of Luke. It's a little bit more wordy, says more things in the Gospel of Matthew. That's the one we normally recite. But let's look at this because of the context of what is happening in this passage. What is it? What is prayer all about? We want to look at three things, the relationship, the request, and the reward. And then I want to ask you a question at the end of this message, same one I asked you beforehand. How's your prayer life? What do you base that on? And what should you base that on? Let's look, first of all, at the relationship. <clears throat> In verse 2, he says, when you pray, say, Father, we honor, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Father. It's expressive that the way that Matthew presents this when he says, our Father. A, a great, a great, he says, look, I pray to the Father, and it's right for Jesus to pray to the Father. That was his Father. He's Father God, God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit, he's the second part of that second person, that Trinity. But what about us? He says, no, you pray too. You pray our Father. Why that relationship? Because it's the most unconditional relationship that we have on earth. The parent-child relationship. You say, well, what about marriage? Let me give you an example. You're a parent, grandparent, and uh, you're four-year-old comes into the bedroom at night and says, I need a drink of water. So what do you do? You get up, get him a drink of water and say, now let's go back to bed. You tuck him in bed and then you go back to sleep even though you're half asleep. You don't want to do it, right? But you do it. Suppose your spouse turned over in the middle of the night and said, would you get me a drink of water? What would you say then? Get it yourself, you know? I mean, you're half asleep anyway, and you say, oh, no, you, you need it. No, you would probably not even ask that. There's an unconditional type of relationship that we have with 
a father even here on earth, a good father at least. God's original design was to have fellowship and a relationship in our life for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's the reason Jesus died, third circle, on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day, that he could bring us back to the original design, and that is to have a relationship with our Father. Now, that's God's plan and will for our life. In order to do things like that, he must communicate with us in many ways. He does it through the Word of God. He did it through Jesus Christ. The Bible says he communicated through his Son. He does it through the Word of God, but he also communicates through prayer as well. Now, here's how you judge that relationship with God. You judge your relationship with God on the basis of your prayer life. If you have a little prayer and you pray out of, we'll say, a crisis experience, and you go to God and pray, oh, I need to pray. And maybe you pray every day, and there's nothing wrong with asking and receiving, but your motivation is to say, God, I need, I need, I need, I need, I want this, I want this. That's little prayer, and that, that, share, that shows us, and shows me when I do that, that what I'm after is God's hand. I want God to do something for me. And it may not be as arrogant as saying, oh God, you're my assistant, and I demand that you do something. It could be really just asking in the right way, but the motivation is, God, I need something. The one that prays much is the one who wants to meet with God, who gets up in the morning and says, oh, I just can't wait to get up in the morning. I get to meet with God. Very few people do that. But yet that's the basis to a successful prayer life, that not only that you look at the Word of God and you get information from it in this information type of society, and you get the answers you need from the Bible, but you listen to God through the Bible, and you listen in prayer, and you pray to God, and you have that relationship with Him. Now, the Bible gives us a great example of that in the context of chapter 11. In chapter 10, verse 38, there's a story that leads into the Lord's Prayer. And here's how it goes. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and the woman named Martha welcomed Him into her house. They're going through to Jerusalem. They're on their way. Luke 9 through 18 is the journey to Jerusalem and all the teachings that were involved in that. And so he stops off in Bethany and Martha says, hey, come on in. Come on in and, and eat at my house. Well, he also had a, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her, here's your request, tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing, they're all trying, they're trying to serve Jesus in a different way. Both of them are trying to do a, a, a worthy deed, to serve Christ. Martha says, come on in my house, and she's a doer. You know, she, she's one of those that, uh, you know, just give her a task and she'll do it. What is she worried about? She's worried about cooking this meal. And the success of her life is determined by the success of this meal that she's cooking because she does it well. She cooks well. I'm sure she did. She was probably known for it. My success is pleasing Jesus based on what I'm doing. And the success of this meal. Now, if it's not successful, 
then I'm not going to win favor with God. If it's not successful, then I'm going to feel like a failure. If it's not successful, I don't know what I'm going to do to please God. Mary, on the other hand, was looking and saying, God's already pleased. God has already received the glory. And really, Mary, as she is worshiping the Lord, has an insight that maybe nobody else has at this time. But we find Mary, or rather Martha, serving the Lord. This is sort of a picture here Jesus is trying to draw for us in telling, and Luke in including this story, Martha is someone that represents someone that's trying to earn salvation, trying to earn favor with God on her own. If I just work, if I just do enough, if, if I just somehow please God in some way, he is going to, to bless my life, and he's, I'm going to feel so good about myself. Mary, on the other hand, is saying, by the grace of, of Jesus Christ, he's done everything he's going to do. Whatever needs to be done, he's going to do it. And I just need to listen to what he has to say. Now, a picture, uh, maybe a picture of Martha, a total Martha. Most of us are not total Marthas. Most of us sort of think, okay, I don't really earn my salvation, but I kind of do. I mean, I, I was born in a good family. You know, I went to a Christian school or homeschooled or went to a Christian college, and I don't, I don't beat my children and my wife. And, and uh, you know, I was I'm involved in church. I'm a deacon. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I've earned it some way. I mean, I, I've earned my salvation in some way. And the people that maybe are poor or addicted to something and they've been in jail or something, you know, they're, they really have to go the extra, Jesus has to go the extra mile to save them, but not me. And that's the way most of us, or many of us feel. But a total Martha would be someone, hey, they grew up at church, and they always think they have to be a good girl or a good boy growing up, and they do whatever they can to please their parents, whatever they can to please their church. They grow up a little bit in high school, and they begin to serve in the church in some way, thinking, hey, I'm, I'm fulfilling my ministry, but I'm also really in favor with God here. I'm really doing a good job. But then there's nothing on the inside. There's no encounter with God. There's nothing there that's going to help them really feel and sense the presence of God in their life. They go off to school. And what happens? They just drop out. Because it doesn't really mean anything to them. They begin, and I tried, and I tried, and I just can't do enough. I still don't feel God. That's a total Martha. On the other hand, we find Mary who is worshiping at the feet of Jesus. I said a few moments ago that Mary may have known something that nobody else knew, and maybe at this time she didn't. But later in her life, she is the same woman that anointed the feet of Jesus. Remember what happened? She took 11 months' wages uh, in, a, in a perfume bottle that she was saving, and she broke the vase, and she broke it and wiped the feet of Jesus. It was different from the lady that we preached about a few weeks ago. This, this happened near the, the time of his burial. And Judas and some of the others were saying, hey, look, you're wasting all that money. We could give it to the poor. And Jesus said, hey, permit it for now. She's anointing me for my burial. She knew something that not even the disciples, Peter, John, James, none of them knew, knew about the death on the cross. And in her tears, she wiped the feet of Jesus anointing him for burial for what 
he was going to do. She recognized that to live in fellowship with God, you depended upon his grace. Now, what do we see here? We find Martha working for God's favor. And we find her looking to say, what can I do to, to maybe get his hand involved in my life? While Mary was after the heart of Jesus. What about us? Well, how can we tell? How can we tell whether a Martha or a Mary? How do you tell? Your prayer life. If you pray again a little bit, if you pray just in crisis, if you pray that when you just need it, you're after God's hand. If you are a prayer person that says, look, I just enjoy meeting with God, then you're a Mary. Now, we can talk about reading the Bible, and we need to talk about that. But there's times where God needs to speak to you through the Word of God. But prayer is also a two-way street. It's not only me talking to God, but God talking to me. And I wonder, God, if you're really not speaking to me in my mind or speaking to me through the Word of God, am I really, really praying? The barometer of our prayer life is not how many answers we get, but our encounter with God. Charles Stanley has said this, The greatest thing about prayer is our sense of oneness with God. I've, I've an encounter with God. I wonder about our witnessing. I wonder about our, even our church attendance. You know, we, we've had people, a lot of pastors are talking about, a lot of staff members even. You know, what about those who, now that we've had a pandemic, people have stayed at home. Maybe some people realize, hey, you know, we can do without church. You know, I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll just worship at home from now on. I, I ran across a pastor this past week, and uh, he was sharing with me that he called up a member of his church. And uh, it was right over here in Seminole County. And, and the guy said, well, I don't go to your church anymore. And he says, oh, really? Where do you go? And he says, I go to such and such a church. And he says, okay. Didn't know what to say to it. Why? Well, this guy lives in Seminole County. The church he's going to is in Atlanta. What do you say when maybe, I don't know, maybe the church is encouraging people to stay at home and just watch online? Why would we even do that? We are in an information age. And maybe I play into that a little bit. I don't know. You know, what kind of information can I get? I, I want to hear the sermon and the information in the sermon. We come to church and sometimes we, we don't even sing. We're not part of a small group, so we're not fellowshipping. We don't come to prayer meetings, so we're not, we're not doing that. In fact, there's really no encounter maybe with God for you in the church. And so if there's no encounter with God in the church, you reason, why not just stay at home? When the music's going on, I'll fix a cup of coffee and maybe some oatmeal or something. And, and then the preaching comes on, and whoever I'm listening to, I'll, I'll listen to the message, get fed a little bit, and go on my way. No encounter with God. And we know that's happening in our life. So here we are. We've got very, maybe very few answers to prayer, maybe at a certain times in your life. And you're thinking, I don't feel God in my life. I don't sense him in my life. So why should I share my faith with anybody else? Why should I export something that I can't look them in the face and say, look, if you receive Jesus Christ in your life, it'll be the most joyful thing in your life. I wouldn't give anything for my relationship with God. How can you say that when you're not having this kind of encounter with God, but going maybe through the motions. And part of it is discouragement because we believe the basis for prayer is asking and receiving, and we don't feel like we're receiving what we want. And so therefore our prayer life's a failure. So why do it? 
And we look and we say, though, but what about those requests? Doesn't God want to do something in my life? You know, James 4, 2 says, if you don't ask, the reason you don't have, you don't ask. And then you ask for the wrong motives. He says over and over and over again, ask, 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 ask. Even in this passage that we'll get to, in fact, I'll just read it right now. It says in Luke 11, uh, 8, or 11, 9, he says, ask and it will be given to you and seek and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. And so, in fact, it talks about persistence of asking. So what should we ask for the will of God to be done? If there's anything in this passage that we actually ought to pray every time, it's this, or at least have this attitude all the time. God, your will needs to be done. What is, what is the, he says, the kingdom come. And in Matthew, it says, your will be done. Same thing. The kingdom is God's rule in our life. A king rules. A kingdom is a rulership. Pray God's rule upon your own life. Pray for God's rule to be in our society. Pray the kingdom will come and, and heal the world of brokenness and violence and heartbreak and broken homes. Pray that God would do that. The kingdom would come and your will to be done. You say, well, that's, you know, I have a lot of trouble with that, Pastor. I mean, after all, you know, that's kind of the, the you know, kind of the kick out, isn't it? That got off the hook by saying, oh, it must not be his will. It must not be. Well, you've got a four-year-old. And the four-year-old comes along and makes some outrageous requests. In fact, he wants to do something. And the 35-year-old dad says, no way. You're not going on out on that highway. I don't care how much you like that car across the street. You're not going. So what does he do? He pitches a fit. We call it pitches a fit. That's in the South. You may, I can't remember what we call it in Florida. He's having a moment. He's having a moment. And he has his moment. And he begins to cry. In fact, he's embarrassing. He, he Cuts up so much. So what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to let him go on the highway. No. You're going to say, no, no, no. No. Notice what happens in verse 41 here in our passage in, in chapter 10. He says, but Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Now you think that he's just tired of Martha. Sort of like uh, Brady Bunch. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. No, it's not like that. Martha. Martha, when you repeat a name, it's a sign of love that you have someone. But he says, Martha, Martha, I love you, but I'm not going to do that. The answer is no to that. And Jesus knew exactly the agony that he went through. And he prayed for God's will to be done. But he prayed for something else. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? He's there in the garden. And three times he prayed, God, if you can take the cup of wrath from me, do it. If I don't have to go to the cross, I don't want to go. Take it away. But your will, not mine, be done. So he gave an example of that. God, your kingdom needs to come. Your rulership. And I pray, God, more than anything else, God, I'm worshiping you. I've got this relationship with you. I know that you know what's best for my life. And God, whatever I request, the one thing that I want more than anything else is your protection by your will being done in my life and the lives of others. Now, we, we say, well, there's a lot more. By the way, there's a lot more for God's will than what you think. In fact, if God were to do everything that he wanted us to ask for, we would be overwhelmed, but we just don't ask. So God wants to do something great in our life, but sometimes the things that we want emotionally or things that we want in our own flesh are just not what 
we need. Tim Keller said this again, Jesus would give, give us, gives us everything we ask for if we knew what he knows. Well, Jesus loved Martha. At the same time, he said no. Now, he said, look, also pray for your daily bread. Real quickly, we, that's not something really high on our list. You know, you, you have your daily bread. You've got a credit card maybe you can get daily if you don't have money. But this means everything, everything. In fact, Martin Luther said this, every necessary, everything necessary for the preservation of life is symbolized here in bread, including food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, life, children, good government, and peace. But notice he says, our daily bread. That doesn't mean we don't pray for a retirement program. But he's re referring to the manna in the Old Testament. When the Israelites were going through the wilderness and every morning there was heavenly bread on the ground. But they said, he said, look, God wants us to trust him every day. It's part of that dependence. And that dependence brings on relationship in our life. Then he prays also, not only for that, but he also prays for forgiveness. He says, ask God, forgive everyone. He said, for, uh, he said forgive of our sins, verse 4, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now it says, uh, it goes on to say in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, when it's looking at the Lord's Prayer, the verses following that, immediately following, are these. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Wow, that sounds pretty bad. Our Dependence upon our forgiveness is us forgiving other people. Well, that's not really what it means. In the context of all this, he's simply saying this. Just like Martha was trying to work her way to heaven, if you're not in forgiveness of other people, it proves that you have not, it's an indication that you have not tasted of the grace of God yourself. Because what you're saying is, God, I wouldn't do that. They did that to me. I would never do that. Self-righteous. How can I forgive them? Because I've never done anyone like that before. Self-righteousness. I've earned my way, God. They ought to earn their way as well. We're denying the grace of God when we don't forgive someone else. And God says, look, you still need to ask forgiveness. It's true that once Jesus died on the cross and we received Jesus into our heart, we began a relationship and everything, everything that we've ever done, past, present, future, was forgiven even, yes, in the future. And we had a relationship with God, and that relationship will not stop. But in order to keep the fellowship alive, you have to come to grips with what's wrong in your own life, protection of your life. Then he says, pray for God's protection. That's the last thing. He says, and lead us not into temptation. This temptation not only means temptation, but it also means trial. You can pray that God would not send you in a trial. And one of the ways to get by some of those trials is to obey the Word of God. Because if you obey the Word of God, God doesn't have to bring as many trials in your life to mold you into what He wants you or I to be. But this same word, Greek word, for temptation is used for the word trial. For example, it's used in James chapter 1. He says, he says to us, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, the trying of your faith work is patience. Then he also says, if any of you are tempted, let him ask of God, 
And he goes on to say, don't think you're tempted by God because God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither does he tempt any man. The same word for tempt, the same word for trial, same word. And so he's pray, we're praying here for our protection in every way. Temptations from the inside, trials from the outside. We pray this in the prayer of Jabez every week, that God would keep us from harm, that we would avoid trouble, that we would avoid things in our life, bad decisions in our life. He says, look, it's a relationship, and you need that, that relationship open. You need all those things forgiven so you can have a pure relationship with God. It's all based on relationship. But then on that relationship, God wants us to ask. He does. He wants us to. Like the story of Napoleon, somebody, one of his soldiers came up to him and said, I got a wedding coming up. My daughter's getting married. I need a lot of money. I guess they cost a lot back then too. And uh, he said, okay, how much do you need? And he gave him an astronomical amount. In fact, so much so, those that heard it thought, oh, my goodness, what is he going to do to him? And he says, you'll have it. And somebody asked him, how, why in the world did you do that? That was, that was an unreasonable amount of money to ask you for. He said, because that man complimented me. He affirmed me. It's not only being a man, a powerful man that can bring that kind of money together, but also a man of generosity that's willing to give it. God wants us to ask. We, we adhere to that, and we affirm him as being the heavenly father who can pull anything together, has, owns the cattle. As I close, first of all, you will get answers to prayer. You say, yeah, but it's yes, no, wait. Wait is never a permanent answer. So it's either really yes or no. Notice what he says here. He says, for a friend of mine, verse 6, has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him, and he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, that is his importunity or persistence, he will arise and give him whatever he needs. It doesn't mean that God's Somebody that's asleep don't want to be bothered. He says, I'm better than that guy. That guy is going to give it to you based on your persistence. And how much more gracious is God? Then he says, ask. Then I tell you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. God wants to answer the prayer. Sometimes it's yes because it is the will of God. So ask for it. Sometimes you don't know the will of God. Then seek for the will of God. But you just keep knocking when you don't know the will of God. Because, I mean, after all, all God can say is no. And he will if it's not his will. But if it is his design for your life, he will say yes as he pulls all the things together to make that happen. Then we find the presence of God in our life as well. Prayer is more than asking and receiving. We are either a Martha or a Mary. Do you spend time with God or do you sort of endure it? Do you really think to yourself, God, I want just to spend time with you. That's what I want. Listen, God's going to answer. Remember the story I told you about the lady that was praying? for the young man, well, he eventually received Christ. So how do you know that? How do you know if it's even a true story? Because I was the guy. 
I walked forward in the church, people lined up just like they used to in a Baptist church and, uh, in the country and, and greeted you and said, congratulations on your decision to follow Jesus. And um, she came by and she says, I've been, Mrs. McElroy said, I'll be pr- I've been praying for you for 10 years. And I wondered, why is a kid that never had one spiritual thought to go through his brain for the first 12 years of his life, all of a sudden, couldn't think about anything else but God. Answers to prayer. But more than that, the presence of God. Listen to this. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You make known to me the path of life. The fullness of joy. You want joy in your life. You come to the Lord in prayer. And then the peace of God. Notice Martha was just all bothered, all anxious, all troubled. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus with peace. The Bible says don't worry about anything. Instead, by pray, prayer and, and everything, tell, tell God what we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So what about you? What about you today? Can you say today, Hey, you know, I'm a Mary. Maybe you can't. But you know, you could say, I want to be a Mary. And I've learned something maybe about prayer today, and I'm reminded about something in prayer today that I hadn't thought about in a long time. The basis to my success in my prayer life is not about answers. It's about fellowship, an encounter with God feeling his presence in my life because dear friends without that we won't be the church member we won't be the witness we won't be engaged with God the way he designed us to be engaged with him we're going to have a little invitation this morning and the altar really an altar call the altar is open and first of all if you have a prayer burden on your heart you say you know I just really need to empty this out before God today the altar is open But if you're willing to say to God, God, what I want to do today, I want to look at prayer in a whole new way. I want you to give me the heart of a Mary, of a worshiper, of someone that desires that encounter with you. I want to be brought to the place where I enjoy being with you. I enjoy it. I want to be there. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.